In order to support our show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we'll need to learn a little bit more about you. So please go to podsurvey.com slash majordomo and take a quick anonymous survey that'll help us get to know you a little better. That way, we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can choose to enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash majordomo. D-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash majordomo. Thanks for your help. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Today's guest is the Pulitzer Prize winning art critic, Jerry Saltz of New York Magazine. Very honored to have him join us as our guest today. We got in all kinds of conversations in this podcast, mostly me asking questions about art and how it might be able to compare favorably to food and the trials and tribulations of trying to do what you love. And Jerry is someone that's fascinating and interesting to me because art as a whole is probably the most studied, most criticized and we have the most knowledge and data of than anything else in the world. Since the dawn of man, we've been making art and we've had viewpoints and collected it. And if I'm better going to understand the culinary profession, which is very short compared to the world of art history, I think that there must be something to learn from how to be an artist that might be very similar to how to be a chef or how to be a cook today. There has to be. So I was very honored that Jerry would join me, even though we've never met, even though he's not a huge foodie, even though he ate at LBE around 2008, 2009, and he didn't really care for it that much, but obviously he understood it. So just as we've spoken to Kevin Clark about football and Kevin O'Connor about basketball and Shad about hip hop, we've made some sometimes far-reaching maybe not accurate conclusions about some similarities between other parts and culture that relate to food and vice versa. But I'm constantly struggling to get a better understanding of my profession and the profession that a lot of these listeners are in. And again, like you might better understand food because you see some correlation that you see somewhere else in the world, whether it be art, sports, music, whatever. That being said, about a year ago, Jerry published an article in New York Magazine called The 33 Rules of How to Be a, an Artist. It was 33 rules to take you from clueless amateur to generational talent, or at least help you live life a little bit more creatively. And again, I just don't see how it's just about art. It has to be applicable to so many other things, particularly cooking. I have a lot of thoughts about Jerry I will shut up and let you listen to him because I want to talk to this guy forever and I want him on this podcast many, many times. Uh, One of the most enjoyable conversations I've ever had. It gets abstract at times, so just a heads up. But if you have any questions or if you want to know more about the people that we're talking about, email us at askdave at majordomomedia.com. That being said, I'll shut the fuck up, let you listen to this podcast of the master... Really, I do consider him like this weird master, and I've been 
so lucky enough to talk to, and hopefully you guys feel the same way. Here's Jerry Saltz. First off, I'm looking at a double gulp of coffee, iced coffee. Double gulp uh, every single morning. I fill it with ice, hear that? And uh, then coffee, uh, which I bought at the deli the night before because we don't make coffee. Criticism never sleeps, which means there is no time to make coffee, to learn to make coffee, to cull the right coffees, to think about what brand. I go to the deli, I buy five coffees, I put them in the refridge at night. The next morning, I fill the double gulp <laughs> with ice and uh, put some milk in and begin writing. And now we're doing this at New York Magazine. And I came here, and this is my second one this morning. It's not that much coffee. It looks like a lot. Impressive, though. <laughs> I've only started drinking coffee at the age of 41. Really? And yeah. uh, what's your sense of it? It's cocaine. Yes. It's, Since uh, we can't do yeah. drugs. I'm actually mad at myself. Because I was like, oh, I should have just gotten a coffee business. Yes. It's legal, legal cocaine. No, it's amazing, <laughs> right? I asked my doctor, is this okay? Because I don't have any other thing. He said, you may have all the caffeine you wish. <laughs> and I do. And I can now even sleep on it. So wow. it's not a problem. Well, your title is Chief Art Critic. Right. New York Magazine. Right. And you won a Pulitzer last year. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. That's Thanks. pretty fucking amazing, right? It was amazing to me also. To me, too. My wife and I were working at the house we rent in Connecticut. I got an email from my editor. I had no idea it was Pulitzer Day. None. And all it said was Pulitzer. And I right away wrote him saying, congratulations. Because he wrote, David Wallace Wells wrote the greatest climate change article yet written, I think, for this magazine the same year. I thought he won. And then I got a bunch of emails that turned out that I had won. And it was fun. What happens? You get the call and then what? You get the well, award? I, you get nothing. I just was sitting there writing in Connecticut at about 3.15 in the afternoon. And I got this email, then a bunch of emails from New York Magazine with the same word, Pulitzer. <laughs> and then my wife, Roberta Smith, who's a co-chief art critic at the New York Times, picked up the phone. She was sitting right next to me and looked at me and she said, I think you won the Pulitzer. They <laughs> want to speak to you. And then we both said, put down the phone. Well, I'll call them back, but I sort of, we just hugged, and, uh, and then I went right back to a deadline, the hell of deadlines. It never stops. And then late at night, I did look up, Roberta looked at me and said, I wonder if there's any money with this thing. And I thought, oh, we'll go to Norway and get $100,000. <laughs> and But there was $15,000, which as you and your listeners probably know, for a writer, that's a hell of a lot of money. That's the biggest windfall I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just turned 68, and I felt real good about it. That's amazing. Yeah. With all the success you've had as an art critic, do you ever feel 
that maybe you're not good enough, that you didn't deserve it. There's imposter syndrome. I don't know about you, Dave, but at three, you could call me at 3.15 in the morning and we could both talk about it. You would say, yeah, really, I'm out of ideas. Don't you have that? Sometimes. Man, <laughs> well, call me at 3 a.m. <laughs> and this morning- But you're writing all the time. I'm writing as hard as I can. But you're in a weird field now as someone that, I mean, the funny thing I think for critics, at least that I think in food, is they're not supposed to be judged, but then they get judged themselves for their work. The critics are not supposed to be judged, you're saying? Yes. But now you guys are writing back to no, them? No, 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 no. You're being judged for your body of work. I love that. Right? Yeah, that's my belief. I want my work to be as radically vulnerable in the world as you want your work. That means when you give your ideas to people in the form of a different hole in the body, the mouth, I'm doing it through, I don't know what I'm doing it through, osmosis, because it's reading. I want my work to be as vulnerable as your work. And that's why I took to online to answer every single critic back of my work. So, and and yeah. if people don't know, you are prolific at answering people on social media. For sure. For sure. I but love that. seems abnormal for critics. Well, I think for the last hundred years or so, it was abnormal because... The structure, again, I don't know how it works in the food world, but the structure for me was awful. You have to understand, well, I'm not going to go backwards. The structure for me was awful, and it didn't favor me, which was a pyramid. That meant one authoritative voice at the top, the critic, speaking to the many the base of the pyramid below and the base of the pyramid and the top, I wanted to invert that and make it where instead of the one speaking to the many, the many could speak to one another on a horizontal plane. And it seemed to me that social media actually offered that if I made two rules, just two, and I made them at the beginning, one, you may attack me all you want. You may call me any name, any manner of name, and I have been called every name. Racist, bigot, homophobe, ageist, everything you can think. Everyone hurts, but you have to grow elephant skin. You may call me any name, but you may not call anyone else in the thread a name. And right away, I realized that's a way to stop chaos. Mm. And the other... This is a personal rule. I block cynics. I block people who think they know how everything really is and how it really works and the f bad motives behind everything. How I do just, you prevent f yourself from becoming a cynic? Because I love art and I love the art world. You love food, right? I think at times, I bet you people close to me would say that I'm pretty cynical about the industry itself. Well, the industry itself is different than the thing. Money, which is the industry, the establishment, the superstructure, the delivery system of your work and my work is separate from our work in the end, in the end. Although people understand the delivery system, 
That is, people understand the Kardashians, they understand TV, movies, and they understand money. So instead of trying to understand art, which is harder, or really think about what they're experiencing, say, with food, they talk about the delivery system, and that's all they see. To me, that's cynicism. I, too, hate the delivery system. But I think that's all temporary and will change. How is it going to change? Like it change happening because truth will be realized 100 years later? Well, no. I'm only interested in the right now. Only the now. I want to be in the conversation now. If you told me somebody's going to read you after you're dead, I would say, great, but I don't care because I won't be here. I won't know it. I want to be in the conversation now. I think that money is going to go away after a certain point. And it always comes and it always goes. And both of our worlds get big and then they get small. You said you're cynical about your industry. In what sense? Money has fundamentally See? altered something that I thought was, and I sometimes catch myself because it can seem too idealistic, something that I thought was super pure. Which was your cooking. work. Cooking. Yeah, not just my work. Right. The fact that if you're serving food at a school cafeteria to making three mission star dining, the act of cooking for someone is to me as wonderful as any act could be. Yeah. Like it was uh, meaningful and truthful. And, and then I get caught up as well in everything else. Sure. But I think there's a whole generation of people that are cooking now that don't even know why they're cooking. Right. And that's hard. And then I wonder, am I contributing to the malaise of everything as well? A couple things off the top of my head. We're all involved. We're all complicit because we're all, I guess, in this gigantic system. Just like politics, we've created a system in my world, the art world, that no one likes, but no one knows how to get out of. I would guess the food world might be similar. Um, I guess I just think only 1% of 1% of 1% of all artists make any money. I would assume it's the same with food. Yes. I tell that all young cooks that are trying to get in, I was like, this is the dumbest job. Every week really? I say, this is the dumbest job. Because you're really probably not going to make money. It's almost guaranteed that you're going to fail. See, mine too. 99.999% if you define failure as... Monetary value. Right. That you're almost guaranteed because really... And if you're a critic, excuse me, it's only 1% of that number. (laughs) But that's okay. (laughs) But I wonder if that's okay, at least from, I mean, art, I don't understand. I have some friends that are artists, but for me, when I see it, I have to wonder, is it worth, is great food even worth it? Is for the sacrifice involved. Pleasure, as my wife has always said, pleasure is an important form of knowledge. And the West, in particular, does not privilege that idea. We're suspicious of it. And eating is involved with pleasure. Seeing is involved with pleasure. Speaking. These things we do. So is it worth it? Well, now that money has tried to, you know, put a... Art and money have always slept together. 
Why is that? They like having sex in public is what they do. And this is going all the way back to... It goes back to the beginning. I mean, Greek pots, if you look very carefully, are signed, actually signed by the artist with things like, and this would be a real signature. You can see it at any museum. Dave Chang could never make a pot as good as mine. That's what they say. That's And this is a big deal. And those things are being shipped, mind you, from Greece all up and down the Silk Road to Egypt, to Rome. And from Rome, they would be shipped up to England and over to Spain. This stuff was big business. Mm. And more than just a pot or just a sculpture, certain names became well-known. It's just why do art and money sleep together? I don't know, because they can. They're special, I guess. And when that what correl- can't money sleep with? I guess that yeah. is a it truth. It can sleep with anything. But then does money have a correlation with someone that's actually good in art? Money... Like, is an expensive right. painting actually good? High prices do have nothing to do with quality. This is really important to know. In some cases, a really expensive painting is really good. In other cases, maybe it's only mediocre. Never look to the price for quality. The price is the price. The market is very simple. The market buys what other people in the market have already bought. It's a self-replicate. But there's no, what's the value mean, right? Like The value is only what you give it, really, in the end. Because I promise you, the greatest collectors and gallerists and everybody but the auction houses will tell you the truth that I can't guarantee you that this David Hockney will be worth more money in 10 years. The reason I ask that is, and why I'm so excited to talk to you is I try to understand my profession as best as possible. And I think one of the reasons I want to talk to you is while we have a variety of people that listen to this from all walks of life, and I'm thankful for that, I think a good chunk of them are cooks and chefs. Mm-hmm. And they want to get a better idea of the culinary arts in all facets. And I've always maintained that to better understand this profession, we should understand other parts of culture. Probably no. Nothing more than art has been more examined forever, right? Right. And if we can understand how people have studied and bought and made art, then maybe that gives us an indication of how things might be going in the culinary world. Even though it's not technically an art, a lot of people think that it is. Right. And that's a long-winded way of me asking when I look at – one of the big things right now in the food world is the reckoning of cultural appropriation and the pricing and the value of what we actually – deem as important, right? Is a $500 meal really that much more delicious than the best taco you've ever had on the beach in Mexico? Right. Or like Chinese food for that matter, right? That's one of the biggest problems I've always looked at. I was like, who the fuck makes these decisions? It is. And that's a problem I feel like we see in food all the time. It's arbitrary. It's suddenly the whole world lights on El Boule. Which you dined in. Yes, I ate there. I've never cooked a meal really in my life. And so they brought me there to eat, I think it was a 57-course meal. Probably five, six hours. Yeah. No, it took forever. And I 
A couple of things. I understood I was breaking down. You might have read me. I wrote about mm-hmm. being ravished by what was his name? Fernan Adria. Fernan Adria. And I guess for the equivalent, he'd probably be the Pablo Picasso. That's what I called him, yes. though, because he was a nut when I yes. met him and he we is. went to the beach and he was marching around. And uh, there's a little bit of an act. It's to an it all. act. Uh, yes, it was an act, but then we're all doing our act, I guess, to get through because it's so hard to leave our apartments. Mm-hmm. But it was amazing to have food broken down to how it was presented on the plate, the size of the portion, the size of the bite, how to chew, what it was chewed with, then into the swallow, the follow-up tastes. I had never, ever broken down in a cubist way. But not just you, but the world at large had never seen anything like that. And for that reason, he will always be considered maybe the greatest or second, like number two, right? right? Maybe the most influential greatest chef ever because no one looked at food the way that he and his brother Albert looked at. It was phenomenal. It was a formalist way of understanding food is what I thought. Right. Of breaking it all the way down to every single component and making you experience them all at once like a Picasso painting where you see the eyes, the mouth, the vulva, the breasts, the butt, the face, the head, all at the same time. And if someone said that would be, uh, I think, what, 10, you ate there probably 10, 10, 11 years ago. Yeah. If that was today, probably, I bet, fifteen dollars to $2,000 a person. Yeah. Right? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. To me. Absolutely inexcusable. And I want to say this. But uh, for that, it was probably like 200 bucks back then, but. Yeah, I was lucky. As an art critic, I didn't have to pay, thank God. But I will say this. When I got home after the 57-course meal, one of the most interesting things was I was starving. Hmm. It had nothing to do with the eating. It was something different. And the best meal that he cooked for me was the next day. He made a lunch of just some sea fish that had just been caught right there. And I said, "Mm, I like this better. There's the bread. I'm eating it all at once. My mouth is full. I feel the fat molecules. And he said, you cannot do what I do unless you can do this first. Make everyday food. I think people, artists, chefs, Everybody, just build it and they will come. You do not have to worry all this time about monetizing it. If what you do is done with passion, you will get enough people at least to keep you doing it. The definition of success for me is not money, although I love money. I'm an American. I want money. I don't have any. My job is to hate everybody with it, to be jealous of people. But my definition of success is time, not money. Do I get enough time to do what I want to do? And if I get enough time, and then I can do what I do in public, Because unlike most people listening to this, if you're well-adjusted, you go home, kiss your husband or wife or son or daughter or pet, and you're well-adjusted. You're dancing naked in private. And then I, unfortunately, and I think you, are not content 
to just dance naked in private. You're not content to just make your food for you and your family in private. You want to dance naked in public. All I want is the time to try that and the audience, and then I want to react with my audience. None of this makes sense. No, it makes total sense. But I think that money is just temporary. And look what happens when we talk about money. It makes us tired. It gets us into an abstraction. We're not talking about our work ever. The money is there. You will make a little bit of money. You will find a sham, phony baloney job, just like I have right now as an art critic, to somehow allow me to do what I want to do, which is see 20 to 30 shows a week in art galleries and museums, go home, hate myself for not being able to come up with a new idea, and then use the most important thing of all, the deadline. The meal must be made. There's no more time for messing around. Procrastination is not a possibility. You got to meet the deadline. You got to meet it now and you got to give the best of yourself you can give. And that's your job. But that's criticism. Art can't be made under the gun like that, can it? Of course it can. It should be. It should be. Anybody listening to this, give yourself a deadline if you don't have one. And you make that deadline. My first motto is finish the damn thing. Finish the damn thing. I'm sitting in your restaurant, Dave. I ordered uh, a beef steak, whatever that is, because I don't know about food. And I've waited 10 minutes, then 20, then 30. They'll do this to you in Venice because they like to torture you, you know, for a plate of spaghetti. But you're not making your deadline. You want to be an arty farty guy and go, ah, but this one I need 10 days to make. I'm Babette's feast here. No. Meet the deadline. Make it as good as you can make it. It'll never be perfect. Finish the damn thing and then start the next. It'll make you get better. Isn't the best always to come? Have you made your best meal yet, Dave? No. No. Ask any person that makes things. What's your favorite thing? They will tend to tell you it's one of the most recent. Okay? That's because... The best is next. It's in the Bible. Matthew said, the last is best. <laughs> and so I'll go with that. That's an old book. I know this is gobbledygook. No, it's not gobbledygook. it gets me away from talking about money. I'm sorry. The money is, well, what? No, I'm saying that you make total sense. And I feel that if people that work for me heard this, they'd be like, this what guy sounds like Chang. <laughs> well, good. And we're right for us. And you work for us, and this is how we roll. I have no assistants. I've never had an assistant, never had a helper. We're making this out of ourselves. So are your listeners. Make it out of yourself. This is not a TED Talk, man. I don't go for groupthink or like... What's it called? The I just wrote down some words here. Do you mind if I say Please. I, I found some words that all the biggest corporations in the world are trying to be, quote, creative, okay? Here's some language used. They want to uh, drive the conversation and the culture, celebrate the now, look for the next, create entertainment experiences, 
We want to be whatever our audiences want us to be. I think the devil said that, by the way. I will be whatever you want me to be. Inspire the world. Nurture creativity. Clear the runway for great ideas. Blah, 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 blah. Just make your work in a way that only you can make it. Okay? Everybody can make spaghetti. You got to make it the way you make it. And if you build that spaghetti and people want it, they will come. And if they don't, you have to take responsibility. Th- Jerry, you don't sound like a critic that won a Pulitzer. You sound like a chef. I do? Yeah. Well, you sound like a critic <laughs> that won a Pulitzer. <laughs> you do. Like, uh, I can imagine everything you're talking about. Even though you say you don't know anything about food. Not one thing. You know everything about food. Because I, I think the cultural patterns are actually aligned to be very similar. I love hearing that because I feel less of a person the way you feel less of a person for not knowing enough about art. I think the mistake that people make about art, and then I want you to tell me if this is the mistake I'm making about food. Art is not about understanding. You do not understand even a Matisse. I mean, if I said to you, what does a Matisse mean? You and I would look at each other and go, I don't know. A really famous artist, a man and a woman on Saturday said to me, a woman and a man, so don't get HR departments on me for this. I was talking to them about the painter Jasper Johns a very famous living painter, 88 years old, who has a show up in New York right now at Matthew Marks. And everybody always complains, I don't understand Jasper Johns's work. And I said to these two artists, do you understand a Matisse? And they both looked at me at the same time and went, I just masturbate to a Matisse. Now, I was a little taken aback by that. They're artists, and it freaked me out a little because I took it literal. But they were saying the Matisse produces involuntary spasms in them that are induced by the Matisse. You don't understand art. You experience it. Is food like that? 100%. You're kidding. 100%. But I can't, you would say I can't make art. Therefore, you should be able to look at it. You're saying to me, I should be able to eat it. Which is why I want to talk to you because there, I think that, yeah. uh, When I, like you talk about Ferran, I can't do what he does. Yeah. Who would want to? No, but that's what I'm trying to say is like, when I look at some of the the paintings that I think that you like, I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? Or appreciate it. I would think that in your restaurants. You would think that in my galleries. We would look at each other and go, huh? But we're appreciating the same sort of like form behind it. Yes, that's it. There are certain forms, there are genres which are have the memory of forms. There aren't many. There's portraiture as a genre. Give me a form of cooking. We'll just stick with the LBU thing. It, we're talking about postmodernism. Okay. Basically, right? Okay. It I is, don't know. I mean, I'm not say, sure what that you, is. You don't want to say it's like, a, well, let's just say it's like cubism, right? Okay. Cubism is a style. You see, I can make a cubist portrait and I make cave painting portraits and I make Egyptian, you see? But if you look at all the cubist painters and I'm talking about Ferran, okay. which I don't know if it's a perfect, right, right, we'll just right. go with it. 
most people would just not understand that. Or even if you appreciated food, like on another level and you understood sort of all the influences that people like that from yes. NLB were taken yes. from to recreate, you are going to see that essentially the same perspective that he's trying to create is cubism in the same way Picasso yes. was trying to create the perspective. It's completely two different things. I understand. But what Franz basically saying is when I give you this pea soup with foam and all this other shit in there, mm-hmm. I know every possible angle of this pea soup in a way that like I can no longer f- understand more. Yes. And for me to like express it, it's every angle simultaneously. I think that's really brilliant, Dave, because that was my experience as someone that knows nothing about food. He made me, my body, understand that, that he was breaking me down that way and making me understand that. And I also understood, as with art, so perhaps with food and all things, all art comes from other art. Mm. There's not many new foods. Maybe there are, but there's not that many new colors. There are sometimes. There's not that many new forms. It's what will you do inside of these already existent, beautiful forms that will never go away. They are operating systems that were put into place more than 100,000 years ago in some ways. Yeah, the hardware doesn't change. Software does. No, yes, the software changes. Our culture is our software, and that changes. Yes, and so how we eat the hamburger or what type of meat we might be eating, depending on where we are and when we are, that changes. What I'm interested in the art world is if you're painting just stripes for hell, for God's sake, or flowers, or building cardboard cities— I just am interested in seeing your voice in it. I want to be really honest now. Jasper John said, anyone can make the marks I make. And it's the same with me and you. You could write the way I write. I maybe could learn to make what you make. But yet no one... Why, yes. why is that? Which it seems so goddamn simple. And I, I feel that's a repeating theme. And what you write about is just be you. Yeah. I live by this quote, mm-hmm. a line by uh, David Berman of the Silver Jews, mm-hmm. uh, artist, mm-hmm. poet. Mm-hmm. And he said in one of his songs, all my favorite singers couldn't sing. Yeah. Look at Bob Dylan. Lou look Reed. At Lou Reed. Look at Louis Armstrong. Hello, Dolly. And what I tell my cooks today, yeah, always, and it's so, I think, obtuse to him. I'm trying to find a better way to explain it, which is why I'm happy to talk to you. So I say it's not about cooking anymore. Well, people have gotten away. I mean, they think it's about the market and all of no, that. No, no, I'm not oh. even talking about money anymore. Oh, 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 I think that, Thank like, God. they're so, so lost in trying to find their voice that the, I'm like, it's right there, man. Just do you. Yeah, it sounds, see, now we sound like a Nike commercial. Yeah, but, but it is. There's power I, in cliche. Yes. And I think I agree with Dave Chang. Just do you. Just make what you can make. Jasper John said, anyone can make the marks I make. Anyone can make the food you make. You just have to make it your way. Now, you say people are worrying that about trying to find their They're voice. They're scared to fail. Well, sorry. 
Listen, everybody, Dave and I have something to tell you. Man up or woman up, grow a pair of whatever. You guys have to work, 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 work. You're going to fail. You already know that. You're being loved to death by your parents. Stop talking to your parents all the time. Stop getting all this love. Just get out there and work. Yeah, you're going to fail. So what? I failed. I was a truck driver, long-distance truck driver, the only Jewish one, (laughs) till I was 40. I have no degrees. I can't spell. I can barely read. Barely. I can read certain things, but other things, they just look like words on a paper to me. I wanted to be in my world. Do you want to be in the world, listeners, that you want to be in? Okay, fine. Build it and they will come. You have to find your voice. You have to embed your voice in your material. Yeah, what happens if nobody likes it? Then I would say, tough tomatoes. It's up to you to find a way. If you want to dance naked in public, if you want other people to like what you make, well, you better keep trying then. Or I'm perfectly happy if you have a small audience. Dave Chang needed to work for a big audience. Jerry Saltz did too. It wasn't enough just to be loved by a few people for you or me. However fucked up we are, we needed to keep dancing as hard as we can. I'm 68 and still dancing. You're 40 and you're still dancing. It never stops. Many people I know, many artists, many chefs, many people can be very happy with much smaller audiences. Listen to me, people. How big of an audience do you need? A million? A thousand? A hundred? Is 50 enough? In the art world, many fame artists became famous from only 10 or 11 collectors, five or six collectors, one dealer, two critics, one curator. Can you convince, you listeners, can you convince 11 people about your crapola work to get you started? If you can convince, Dave, I think if you could convince 11 people with a new restaurant anywhere, you could possibly get started, long as you didn't want to open big for a million bucks. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, and I use similar so analogies. Easy. Yeah, what I do mean, you I'm say? I'm not. I studied religion in college to not be religious, but I yeah. say this to my chefs a lot. It was like Christianity started with twelve people. Amen. And you don't need to broadcast. You don't need to broadcast it to everyone. No. You just need to be confident to get twelve people to believe in it. That's it. 12 is a good number. And then, you know what? You can use that to fuck up the world (laughs) down the road. They they did. And then eventually, it it just took 300 years. Constantine comes along in the Eastern Roman Empire and goes, okay, I'll be a Christian too. So all of a sudden, you're the establishment. That's what'll happen. It's no biggie. Here's what I think I do. I hate what I do. I hate what I do. Then I do it, and I think, eh, it's not so bad, not too bad. And then I finish it, hoping that my editor doesn't fire me and all of that. But then when I finish it, I think, hey, I'm bulletproof. I'm a god of this particular review. And the minute it comes out, I read it, and I think I'm still a god. And then one person will say something like, 
ooh, I like how you talked about the vortex in that painting. And I'll think, vortex. I should have said vortex. <laughs> I never said vortex. I'm, I'm nothing. And then I'm going to ask you. The truth is, whether I thought I was a god or not, when I start again, it's as if I never wrote a word in my life and I'm helpless. I'm going to ask you, when you serve me a meal, I'm assuming you assume yourself as a sort of God in that one second where I'm kind of good at this today. I finally worked for his dinner and here it is. No? I wrestle with that a lot because as a person that's insecure, we and, all are, and uh, have a lot of issues. I find it very strange that when I'm in the moment and I'm cooking, with all the odds stacked against me, I'm going to feel confident yes. that I can make it happen. In your process, yeah. Even though I know that everything's going to fail and this is a Sisyphean-like task, yes. I have to remain confident and almost willing to fail flat yes. on my face. Amen. And I have confidence in that, yeah. in that process. Simultaneously, when I think about it, when I have reflection, I'm like, I have no idea. I suck. What am I doing even oh, having yes. that confidence? And it drives me fucking insane. It should. But the creative process to me, at least cooking, is this weird balance of you almost have to be narcissistic in yes. some form, but it's a proper balance. Too much. Then you're flailing masculinist. Too much, too self-indulgent, and yeah. it's just awful. Yeah. And then if you don't have enough of a voice, it becomes like everything else. Yeah. Finding that paradigm of paradox for cooks is a very difficult thing for anyone to grasp, I think. I think you're right. I think it's difficult for people to grasp that from artists as well. What they go through to make this material thing. So you are making something out of material. You are embedding your thought in that material, the key of everything. I don't work with that kind of physical material. It's words. It's just different. And so I think your process and mine are a little different. The insecurity, I would say, you mentioned it, it does drive us. I've got to make this work. I've got to make this work. This is never going to work, but I'm going to keep working at it. That's the obstinacy, the will, the drive that gets you through the insecurity. And the insecurity is the condition. I am sure you and I have been lucky. We've met really famous, powerful people. Everyone's the exact same. At the very top, no one knows anything. Yep. I mean, they know, but you know this and I know. So you just got to make it up as you go. Do the best you can. Don't be cynical. Make an enemy of envy today. That's probably my favorite line I've ever read of yours. Thanks. Can you explain that? Because it seems simple to understand as a conceit, but yeah. I think it's pretty fucking hard. It's really hard. I was filled with envy from being, I lived in a squat on Avenue B where there were drug dealers' dogs living in the hall. I didn't pay rent for 10 years, you know, back and forth suing slumlords. All the story, it sounds romantic, but... I spent 10 or 20 years walking around New York City with a chip on my shoulder, looking at everybody thinking, 
They have money. He has, they have a better loft than me. How come all these people are out at lunchtime? How come they're not at work like me? How come they're not driving a truck? I was envious of everybody, everything. I just am saying that envy is in the service of the other. Envy only looks out. It only feeds the other and destroys yourself while you're doing it. You can only make what you can make. I'm sorry your ankles are fat. I'm sorry your hair is bald, me. Or I'm sorry I'm short. You're not a good schmoozer. You didn't have enough money. You didn't go to the right school. All of this is true. All of this is true, but these are things we can't really change. So I just say make an enemy of envy today and get on with it. Just get on with it. But there's only one way to understand that is that by being envy and like bottoming out on envy. I bottomed out on it because I hated everyone. And of course, I just wanted to be everybody. And I really think where you bottom out is for me when I realize that uh, I really want to be in the art world and I better do something. Hmm. And I got to do something. And I've never written. So maybe that's a way to get love. Maybe that's a way to be heard. And do you think I that the to... editing process or the envy process, mm-hmm. when you have the time to reflect upon yourself about what you don't have, that's essentially editing in your head all the ideas and work that you should be doing, but you don't do, but you're doing in your head because you don't want to hurt. You, want, you don't want to fail. You don't want to get hurt. That's beautiful. And the only way out is to actually fucking get hurt. Yeah. And you know what? Listen to me, listeners. He said it. One of the most famous people alive. You, you've never heard of me, but I'm going to say it too. It doesn't hurt that much when somebody doesn't like your work. The truth is, I think two things when you read something of mine and don't really like it, I think, I do think, ouch, ooh, ick, that hurt. I do think you could be right. It occurs to me that there's a 50-50 chance you could be right. And here's the real important thing. There's nothing I could say bad to you, Dave, about your work that you haven't said a thousand times worse to yourself. Correct. It cannot be done. So again, people, I would say, yeah, you're going to fail. It's embarrassing. It's a drag. You're naked in public and suddenly everybody sees you have a big butt. I'm sorry. They're going to see it and you have to go, eh, my butt is a little bit big, but here's what I was trying to do with that butt. And you can answer them back and you're going to fail. And so what? 50-50. And then in your stupid deluded head, maybe it's 90-10. You're succeeding in your head. But it's that delusion that I think is scary for me. Why? You must believe that you're quote unquote a genius no. somewhere. No, I have to believe that none of it's true. Okay. It's the same thing. No, but it's not even that. It's none it's, of it it's is just like true. when I this is like how I talk to my fucking shrink, is I yeah. don't understand how I can be my best version of myself with also not being the worst version of myself. I'm not sure what that means. Let's get a little clearer. Okay, I'm a really good guy, nice, in an okay relationship. I'm not mean. I'm making okay food that people seem to okay like. 
I'm the same man. I think that there's got to be some, for at least for me, the correlation of trying to be ambitious and creative. Yeah. Is like, I almost break everything down to like Star Wars, if this makes any sense. You think you're crazy. I'm way crazier. Okay. Like, um, I'm believing him. I'm trying to find the balance, right? Like, uh, if I want to do something excellent, I know that certain things are going to have to be sacrificed to get there. And that sacrifice could negatively impact myself or the people around me. How? Total reckless abandonment to get there. Okay. That to me is a scary proposition. Why? You already have done it, and you well, are no. you in a relationship? Yes, I am. How's but, it but, going? But, but there's got to be a correlation to the best works of art by artists are usually done at a certain time frame, right? No. No? You disagree? Oh, totally. You would be the one to know, because I believe this with chefs. No. I don't believe that you can only chef when you're young. I don't believe you it's can— It's not about being chef. It's about the most bountiful, best ideas. No. We already agreed the best is to come. Okay, the late work of many, 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 many artists is great work. Look at late Rembrandt. Look at late Picasso. Nobody liked it for decades, but it's tremendous. Late Goya. Late, late, late. It's fine. You've just learned something. Um, I wanted to say about this, while we're working, we're wrapped up in our work. It's true. We're selfish, but so what? Mm. Is that so bad? Well, if the person you're with understands that you, you're you in love, everything's fine, but you go, daddy goes away to a cuckoo place to do what he does, and then he comes back as needy as everybody else. This is going to be another yeah. insane... You get pretty abstract. I would say to you, if I had to advice for you, kiss. Keep it simple, <laughs> stupid. I agree. It's too abstract. I know. You're an artist, though. <laughs> I don't think I'm an artist, though. This is what's No, crazy. of course you don't. I call myself a folk critic. What do you call yourself? I don't even really? know. No, no, come on. Are you I don't even cook? cook that much anymore. But okay. that's what the thing so is. It's like, I have to, because so that's you're what I'm good at. What? <laughs> that's what I'm good at. That's okay, what I'm so, at. but if you don't cook much anymore, what are you doing that makes you happy? I don't even know. Okay, so... These are boring questions. Mm. Just we do our work. Whatever you're doing is what you're doing that seems to be enough. Well. What aren't you doing that you'd like to do? Well. Listen, if your shrink is listening to this, I want to say something to to the shrink. Don't let him keep doing this abstract bullshit. (laughs) He's keeping you away from the, the nub and the core. He keeps walking away from just saying, yeah, I do what I do because I kind of love doing it. I don't know. I, I try yeah, to keep it simple. It. Yeah, but, you do? Okay. But <laughs> this is hopefully a more simplified version of, I guess, what I'm trying to talk about. Okay. I think that being young and dumb, but mm-hmm. just having enough knowledge of know-how of your craft or your profession, that's a lethal, potent combination to do something excellent. Okay. Because you just don't know any better. And that's what you are right now. I think I've already gone through that. You're young and dumb. But I mean, no like, longer. I'm all, oh, no, no, I no. hadn't started I think, writing till I was older than you. No, but what I'm trying to dork. say is <laughs> that, sorry, and sorry. I've seen this with other chefs too, that you're so willing when you're younger to just fucking fall and fail over and over and over again. Sure. At some point, 
you just don't want to do it anymore because it hurts too much. Okay. Like then, when I hear a, a, like, quit. A fo- like a football coach and like, oh, I can't do it anymore because the losing just hurts too much. Okay. Then I say to you, Dave, quit. You can't. Okay. <laughs> can you? No. I'll give you 20 bucks if you can say to me right now, you know what, Jerry, you're right. Well, you are right, but that's the condition that I want to figure out because it's you the can. same thing when I talk to an athlete and they sign like a $200 million contract and they can't work as hard as they used to. Well, I'm sorry. It doesn't apply to you. You can work as hard as you used to. You always will to the day you die. And you're a lifer, I'm afraid. <laughs> this is a lethal terminal disease that you have. You have a desire to dance naked in public and make things, embed your spirit and thought in materials. That material could be a company. It could be a a meal. I don't know what your material is because we don't know that much about each other. But I do know that every morning my wife and I say, we got to (laughs) quit. I say that all the time. We got to quit. I got to get out of here. Got to break up. I need the midnight. Is that healthy? I need the midnight special to shine its ever loving light on me and take me away from there, this prison. And then you want me to tell you how you could retire right now? Sure. Sure. No, but it's not about retiring. Is that what healthy is to remind yourself of like. I want out? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine because then the beautiful part comes, which you just won't say out loud that Roberta and I say out loud every morning by 8.30. <laughs> Oh, well, let's get to work. That's it. You got no choice because you do have a choice, Dave. It's only now that you may see the real truth, which is you have enough money, enough recognition. You're doing all these other phony baloney things like me, which is not working or whatever. Uh, You have enough of that to just get out and stop. Move to a place that's not as expensive and uh, you're cool. Or just uh, get a cheaper apartment in Los well, Felix and well, to, to get be out honest, of I, I, I think the conclusion I've talked to my shrink about is like, I wonder just how large my narcissism is now because I can't quit. It means that there's nothing wrong with being a narcissist. Forget the abstract labels. You just want to love and be loved. All of this comes from love because what... Listen, there's a piece by Goya called Saturn Devouring His Children. You've seen it in your imagination and your mind, and that's just what it is. It's a big, giant, devouring children. Is that beautiful? Yeah. It is. It's a different... Yes. It's representing. Everything that went into the act is from love and beauty and hate and... The whole ball of wax. Your narcissism, it's part of you. So is your humility. So is your drive. So is this. So is that. Just like me. We're all flawed. We're all traumatized. But I think after therapy, go or don't go, that if we work very, very, very hard and are very, very honest with ourselves, it is our work that will tell us almost everything, almost that we need to know about ourselves. And I think that's happening with you. Hmm. You are now at the beginning of something because you are now already younger than I was when I first began writing the first word I ever wrote in my life. So there are many phases. You have 30 years before you get to me. 
And you'll still be doing it. You'll still be doing this going, I want out, <laughs> which is a lie. You're just lying. I want out too, not to hear the demons speak. Well, how do I not think about all this crazy existential absurdity and all these stupid notions that I have in my head? Because I cling to them to better understand what I'm going through. Perhaps these are helping you to make your work better. As long as you're, are you meeting your deadlines? Yes. Then keep your stupid existential like, demons. Like, keep them all. I was just telling you, we're opening, you we're opening a new restaurant, and Jesus, I was telling us, uh, yeah. I, In New York? I punish the fucking I, shit out of myself. No, we all do. Yeah. No, everyone <laughs> does. Everyone listening to this that makes something is punishing themselves because they want to. So, you know, never mind. Don't listen to that. <laughs> Because they're going to go, no, I'm poor. Well, so are we all. But anyway, tell me about your new restaurant. Well, well we're opening up. Uh, Unjo Park is going to be the chef. She's never been a chef before. Where? At Hudson Yarns. Can I come of to course. that? Really? Of course. Oh, my God. This and she's so in a exciting. place right never, now where yeah. she's just, it's terrifying. And I know sure. that it's terrifying. And I almost know that she needs to break but not be broken. Okay. And- it pains me to see the pain that she's going through to of get course. this done. It's thrilling, right? It is thrilling, it's but it's also big... scary because I'm like, man, like I want to make sure that it all works out for her, not just for me. So you probably will. You have what a fifty percent chance of? I think I'm we're, working. Well, here's the insane part of me is like, we're going to make it fucking work. Good, I believe you <laughs> somehow, <laughs> some way. But I was trying to explain to her that like, hey. Stop planning about all the best possible scenarios. Like that never fucking happens in life. Like why are why is every dish and everything you're creating best case scenario? You have too much time and too many options. Yeah. I was like, I like creating at four o'clock. Usually dinner service starts at like five o'clock. Right. I love starting a dish at four o'clock and telling the servers we're putting this fucking on. Privately, I'm like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. None oh of my us God. know. But I know. You'll having, make it work. <laughs> having that time crunch doesn't allow me to think absurdist notions. Yeah. Like I have you, to just yeah. fucking make it happen. You spent 22 hours being absurdist <laughs> like me, or I do it less than you. But And then you're going to make it work. One of the things I look for, Dave, in an artist, and I see it in you, is character. Does this artist... Not are they a good or bad moral or immoral person. I could care less in a funny way because I'm a sociopath and I only care about your work. I don't care about you. Uh, does this person have the character to solve the inevitable problems that will arise between 4 and 5 o'clock in their work? That's all I want to know. And just talking to you... I love that the 22 hours is bullshit, frankly. No <laughs> offense to you. But like everybody, I think you have the character between 4 and about 5 o'clock to get it done, to probably have a 50% chance of it working. In your head, you're thinking, fuck you, Jerry. It's going to work. I know nothing about fucking art, but yeah, I think about it I know art nothing a lot. about food, but I think about food a lot. They're very similar. Very similar, just different holds in the body. We use criticism. God, I'm right on the edge of figuring this out, too. You're in a tricky position, is all I would say. <laughs> because you are, as I said before, the market buys what other people in the market have already bought until they tire of you. 
is what you're talking about. I guess what I want to understand is like, where do you derive meaning from something then? Right. If your experience, everybody will, and you're going to succeed probably. That's my guess. And see, we got off again because we got off on success. Where did we derive meaning from experience, from the character of the artist, from the. Well, again, this is so abstract. And as you can see, I'm still working mm-hmm. through it, but I, too. I, I need to better understand something else in culture so I can get a better lay of the land in food. And right now, things are moving so fast culturally in food that what's popular really? is not That's thrilling. Pop- it's like so fast. It is? Because people are copying at a record clip. Good. Harder to find the right environment to take chances. Wow. Which gets us back yes. to what yeah. we were talking about before we started, why, why New York is yeah. on the downswing and people are going west and south. to With food? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Because it's they can, too expensive it's to open It's too expensive here. to make a mistake. Well, that does happen. Look at Hollywood movies. It's why every movie costs, you know, $200 million and is about one of three or four different stories and has the same format. That's tough. So there's a variety of factors. They're not just one. It's not one magic bullet, but it's like harder to carve out your voice. You have too much criticism early on. It's incessant, that criticism and that judging and that value. Yes, And for me, what I care about, like you care about art is... I want to be fucking moved. I want to be like, holy fuck, how did this person do whatever they're doing? And I don't see that on an almost global level. It's harder to see now. And that scares me. And I wonder. But that's a contradiction too, Dave, because you did say food is really in motion again. Because everyone's realized with technology, it's FOMO. Everyone wants to have what they can't have. It's the one thing you can't download. I can look at art. And you can consume yeah, the yeah. world almost, yeah. every new museum in one day. True. You can't do that with food. It's still a physical barrier to That's processing. That's exciting, man. That's a big... So it's low-techness. Yes. Food's low-techness. In this tech world gives it an enormous uh, quality that a lot of things don't have. But it's being amplified at a rate that it's never been amplified before because of technology. Wow. And... It's this fucking mess of a thing, and I'm trying to make sense of it. You will. I really think that, you know, I love that there's a creative sphere that just spoke that it's in motion. If you hear many creative spheres, again, movies, they're not in motion. TV, in motion. Art, in motion. Theater, not so much. Dance, I wish I could say it was more. Is art, I mean. Art I'm is s- doing just fine. Uh, where is it going, right? Like, nobody knows. It's doing just fine. Is it better fine. than ever before? Because it seems way more weird to me than ever before. Well, you have to understand all art when it's made is contemporary art. All art that you've ever seen was once Contemporary art made by and for its own time and looked away. No one ever saw art look before in the history of the world, ever. And so it seemed new and difficult. I brought Picasso's Guernica, a very large reproduction of it, into the subway. And I saw that and it was epic. Epic, because every person understood it. I was sure no one would. 
thinking, oh, it's a little abstract, blah, 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 blah. It was extraordinary. You saw that. This is everyday people. Oddly enough, in the same session, I also brought the most famous sculpture, of a seven-foot model of the most famous sculpture ever made in the West, which is Michelangelo's David. And it was that sculpture, ironically, that people could not grasp because of the nudity. They, all and the comments this, were about his dick. Yeah, yeah, which freaked me out because I'm— such a pervert that I no longer see him naked quite. Mm. And it was very exciting for me to see him again. And they also found it too simple. Well, he's just standing there holding a rag, they thought. Anyway, um, art is doing fine. You think art is weird, but then I think food is weird. It's not so weird. It's just what food is coming from other food. Can the next generation of art be food itself? It has been, and it will be again. What do you mean it has been? It has been many times. There are many examples, certainly in the 20th century, of artists preparing food. Rick Rick Tiravenesian, a great artist who began in the 1990s simply setting up Thai kitchens on two big vats in galleries serving free food to people. Using food as a form of ritual exchange, food as a form of conversation, food as a form of commerce or not commerce. It's extraordinary. Look him up. Again, you'll have to spell his name. Rick Rick Tiravenesia. Before that, many artists have cooked for people and served that. You should speak to these people. It's quite, I would love to. Quite Fabulous. They're like George Washingtons of the art world, trying new ideas. Sometimes I meet some artists, and I, I don't go mm-hmm. to museums, and I should. Nah. No? Yeah, go. But I, I, I don't because I'm just, I don't understand You're why they're good. You're scared. You're scared. Here's what you do. Walk into the Met. Pick I, a direct. I, I feel like I can better understand the stuff that's in the Met than the MoMA. Okay, you go to MoMA. Walk in. If every single person in the subway understood Picasso, you're going to be fine at MoMA. <laughs> it, it really? But like when I meet like modern day artists that are very successful, I'm like, how are these guys so successful? What's well, going on? Well, that's what I think about you too. I meet you. You know, this is where you have to put aside your doubt, your cynicism, your insecurities. Food and museums. They are ecstasy machines. Hmm. There are places where you put something in one of the holes in your body. You silently start thinking and experiencing and feeling. And the world changes. You feel the whole world change, sometimes in a a bite. In one second, you have felt that with food. And believe it or not, everybody listening to this has felt it with art, too. Does that feeling, is that in the head or the heart? It's in... The whole ball of wax, Dave. Don't separate the mind and the body, the head and the heart, thinking and feeling. It's all part of the same ball of wax. Only in the West do we separate and count to two. You've got to count up to a Google every single time. Everything's part of everything else. Blah, 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 blah. It's in the body. It's in life. That's all. It's in material. Um, 
We're I, making this up. It's all very subjective. You and, and I know I it's important, which is why it's not like I'm not trying to study it. I don't study it, but because I, I want to understand it. Because I stop understanding, <laughs> stop making sense. Go to the museum, find two things that you don't do not like, and then ask. Like this. Duchamp, I did not understand okay. why the ready-made okay. is considered one of the greatest achievements in okay. artistic history ever. And now I'll give I think you a, I do, but here, I don't. Why do you think the ready-made might be an achievement, loosely speaking? That Duchamp took the position that art can be anything. Right. And that was the first one that really... That's a pretty big deal. What he understood is that the operating system put in place in the caves, which was so versatile that the three-dimensional world could be rendered into two dimensions or in three dimensions in stone, in wood, in ivory was ever expanding, and that the category itself he leapt from, that it wasn't only the genres that had been identified, that in fact everything, if designated art, could possibly fit into this category. It's that simple. So you are now filled with doubt. It's not just doubt. I I, I just... I, for my own neurosis, I can't get out of the fact in my head that maybe there's other artists that are like, what the fuck? Yeah, of course. We all Like, I'm so at... much better than this motherfucker. Yeah, well, are you? What could you do? Not oh, the me, other but artists. if, I, if the yeah. other artist. Well, then make it. Make something that other people can use. Art is what can be used as art. Beauty is what is used as beauty. Art has been essential to our species as eating and cooking have been since not the beginning, since before the beginning. Neanderthal man made stone axes. They had trade routes where they traded with one another to give each other the proper stones and tools to make these hand stone axes. Some were painted with ochre that had to come from other locations. Same with food, okay? This has been essential to our culture since the beginning. It hasn't gone away, art and cooking. In fact, the first cooking, well, never mind, go on. I got abstract. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, abstract yeah, I love it. But do, like, let's go back to Duchamp. Yeah. Do you think that even though he wasn't crazy, crazy prolific, like from what I know, it didn't seem like he was a great like uh, technical artist. Oh, you should see his paintings. He could paint, you know, human bodies. Oh. What is it? Look at, look at, look at. No, no, no. Don't say, I don't know if he was a great technical artist. What I would I don't say know. To, I don't even know if that here, was true here, or not. Right. That's a thing. Here's what I would say to you. It's like saying to you, you're well, not I'm a reading good, the criticism of okay, him. Stop. <laughs> don't say, I'm. are you a good technical chef? No. No. See, I knew your answer. Here's what technique is. I'm now going to tell your audience. Technique is redefining skill. You take any skill, art, cooking, anything, and you embed your own voice in it. You must redefine the idea of skill. Look at Van Gogh. He redefined this idea of the skill of the brushstroke. Instead of blending over like beautiful old master painting 
and having all the edges sort of rendered and blend into the next. He lets you see every single stroke at once. Same with Monet. So you are seeing how the meal was cooked and getting the abstract idea of the meal at the same time. You see the mm. picture and the process, the color and the strokes all at the same time. He redefined skill. You must set aside doubt and skepticism when you look at anything or when you eat anything and say, ask yourself this question. After you say, I don't know, this is just spaghetti, this is just bao, whatever, you have to say, what would I like about this meal if I were the kind of person who liked this kind of meal? Mm. And you name two or three qualities. You get very quiet inside of yourself, and you begin to see what people might see in your meal, in Rembrandt, in Monet, in Duchamp. What would I like if I were the kind of person that liked Duchamp's bicycle wheel? Maybe I would like that he, like God. God said, do not make unto thee any graven image or carve any image in stone. No idolatry. No idolatry. In a way, you could define what Duchamp did as much more godly is the belief in that Fourth Amendment. It's so crazy to hear this, though, to me, because it's like, That's it hurts what my are. brain when you think about this shit. Because But thinking really is does. not how to understand I know, it. but why I really love talking to you is like, I've never talked to someone that's a expert, <laughs> want a Pulitzer on this shit, because I'm like, wait, when I look at, I mean, I don't really understand art, but what I look at are the moments when someone decided, as you say, to be like, well, fuck it, I'm going to do dots this way. I'm going to yeah. change the form. That gives me like hope, hope. and inspiration because I'm That's like, right. man, that fucking person yeah. against all odds said, fuck you, I'm doing it this way. They did. And they said, I want to make my meal in public. I want to base this meal on all the meals ever made before but I feel confined by something. Maybe it's the brush stroke. Maybe it was Renaissance space. Think about that. We say we discovered perspective in 1414. In the Renaissance, ahem, go to any Roman wall painting painted 2,000 years before, 1,500 years before, you will see a mathematical system of single-point perspective. That means space going, receding back. Go to the Greeks before the Romans, it's there. The Egyptians had it. They just weren't that into it. Mm. It was only in the Renaissance that that kind of perspective became the going meal. And then by the 19th century, artists like Monet and Van Gogh and those guys they wanted to shatter that space and break it. The same way, whatever you're going to be making at the new restaurant in Hudson Yards, you're going to try to redefine some skill. But are you worried that this sort of linear process of taking what came before you, your predecessors, and then having almost an allergic reaction to it to create a new form has gone on for since the dawn of time for well, us. Well, I don't worry about it because as we all know, there is no linear progress. That's a very but recent But what if it idea. doesn't, why do we assume that it's going to continue? Oh, only because 
we like novelty, change, variety, diversity. Otherwise, the truth is, the real truth is, why look at any painting of a portrait after Raphael, the high renaissance? It was kind of perfect then. It's because we're built for change. We're built for something diverse. Otherwise, it would be pretty boring. Yeah. Food included. (laughs) Because I, I know you're a huge fan of Warhol, and I just have never quite even though I know his importance, I still can't see it. It's like I'm colorblind. Here's here's what you are. Like Basquiat. Okay. I, I don't understand. Okay, let's stop. <laughs> I would just say, look at Warhol. He took colors that had been there since the beginning of time. The same way that Jackson Pollock took something that was on the cave wall, which is the drip. Mm. And he looked at just the drip and he thought, this could be a whole painting. And he deployed something that had been there already, material that had been there, techniques, styles, etc. Warhol took colors that had been there since the beginning and put them in a way together in a way that had never been put together before. Forget his subject matter. Forget his subject matter. He then eliminated the most authoritative thing of all in Western painting, which is the brush. And he used somebody named Gerald Malaga to be his paintbrush, which was a good-looking straight man who would do his silk screenings for him while Warhol sat in a chair and watched it. He used somebody else as his paintbrush. I know you're filled with doubt about this. No, I'm not. And then he did one more thing that was brand new. When he repeated the images with silkscreen on canvas, Notice that all the ones sort of skid, their skid marks and overlaps. Only Warhol looked at Gerald and said, when Malaga said, whoops, I'm, I overloaded the ink on this one. What do we do? And only Warhol said, no, I like that. The way Warhol's paintings look, no paintings had ever looked that way in the history of the world, ever. The portraits are the same. It's just portraits of famous people. Mm-hmm landscapes of well-known things. It's just the color was different. The brush was different. The application was different. And this oddity of the skid marks is very different. That's what you would like if you were the kind of person who liked it. I obsess over this because it goes back to the beginning because we have to end this for you. I could talk all day. I don't know what you have to do. Well, anything but writing or cooking is what we'd like to do right now. Right. Yeah. It's true. Anything. <laughs> but like, I want to find a better way to communicate not only to myself, but to other cooks. It's like, listen, Warhol, Basquiat, Duchamp, they were good. I mean, like, they had something to say. You don't have to be as good as you think you are to have something to say. That's really true. And that's why I need to understand it, because like, I think there's something in the human condition that like prevents us from unlocking that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And I'm in a place right now where I have so many employees and they I need I want them to do well and I just want them to like break out of it a little bit and yeah. to just realize like dude you're going to be just fine. You are. Just you, yeah. do you, right? Like you don't have to be perfect. And a lot of this is projecting of myself obviously because sure. I'm constantly in conflict of criticism or my own insecurities, like, oh, I'm not as good as this person or this person or this person. Yeah. So I got to find what I can say. 
what I can say that's different than everyone else. Beautiful. But I'm constantly in conflict because I'm judging myself on the aptitude and technique of societal and cultural norms of greatness. I'm with you until you mentioned that you, about the societal norms. Like what is traditionally good, basically, right? What, what, whatever works is good, okay? And but we don't live in a world that like accepts that. I thought we did. My shoes, I'm wearing some very comfortable Nikes. <laughs> they work. This is my dumb idea of an outfit today because it worked. Your meal is that. What I will have to write later will be my idea of what works. You were right there on it, and then you moved away to the big <laughs> abstraction where we have to take our weaknesses and make them strengths. strengths. Yes. It's the same back to that John's quote. Anybody can make the marks I make. Anybody can make the marks Warhol made. If there was a great film called Tim's Vermeer, which is about a man who never painted in his life, who realized he could teach himself with one painting to make the most beautiful painting maybe that had ever been painted, which is a painting by Johannes Vermeer, a 16th century Dutch master. So it's what you bring to this. It's just what you bring. I give... Your 33 reasons are how to be an artist yeah. to my chefs. Oh, I love that. I I'd do. love to hear their rules. Make me 33 rules. I propose something to you. And maybe me and you in New York Magazine will make some good magic. 33 rules that might be the same for your world. I think they're very similar. I bet. Because I need to talk to someone like you because, as you can see, I, one reason I feel like my comparisons and analogies get too abstract is I'm in my own echo chamber because I haven't spoken to anyone about this shit. Yeah, we have to. We have to say it out loud. Yeah. Eat out loud, see out loud, you know, just do this thing. We're all gone in 50 years anyway. Well, a hundred years. Um, I want to talk to you again at another time. If you build it, I will come. I'm, I just had a ball. <laughs> And I want to speak to your shrink. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for good reason. I am a lunatic. <laughs> we um, all are. All people who make things are a little squirrely. But I appreciate your candor and your talking to me. And um, yeah, I'll do the 33. We'll figure something out. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that was my conversation with the legendary Jerry Saltz. Hopefully you enjoyed it. There are a couple things that I want to just repeat for myself and maybe as a listener, you should think about too. And that's the idea of making an enemy of envy. Very powerful concept of just doing you first. And when you're thinking about everyone else, you're just wasting your time. And it's ultimately just an excuse for why you're not getting anything done. And again, that's just something I have to tell myself. But I see it in cooking all the time. And I'm guilty of it all the time. And the second idea of just putting a deadline and doing your work, it's about appreciating the opportunities you have, but you can get lost when you have too many options. It's hard to get anything done when you aren't afraid. Like procrastinating is fucking like king, like especially for a guy like me and I know for others. So the idea of getting your best work done in a certain time frame is so important. 
And I kept on thinking about the magic hour in filmmaking, how it's right in between sunset and the evening. And it's like, you know, 25, 30 minutes of the perfect lighting. I'm not a cinematographer. I'm not fucking Terrence Malick. I don't know shit about what what I'm talking about right now. But what I'm simply saying is at any given day, there's one part of the day that seems optimal for lighting when you are making film or taking photographs. And you are struggling and planning all day to take advantage of these moments, these windows in time. And you have to make the most of it. And you don't have time to putz around. You don't have time to to think nonsense. You have to act. You have to work or you're going to miss your moment. And I thought that was a good way to remind myself of stuff that happens in kitchens all the time. You know, getting to work and doing it. It's like the four to five o'clock. That is actually sort of like the magic hour in restaurants. It's maybe the tail end of family meal. You're cleaning your stations up. You sort of have some time to reflect on what needs to happen. You know, there's really two things. You're either in the weeds and you're just dying for help and you need more time, or you've had a great day, you're ahead of the curve, and you can sort of breathe and relax. And in that moment, you can think about other things. And I know for myself, and I've seen it in other kitchens and other chefs, this is the best time for recipe creation and ideating is the time where you have to get shit done before service starts. But simultaneously, it's also the window in time where you're not like working like a dog. You can reflect. You can communicate with your partner or other people in the kitchen. And there's almost this like weird lull, though, the quiet before the storm. And I, I historically have always tried to make a dish during this time, even if it wasn't ready. And I would tell a server or the manager, listen, we're going to put this dish we're working on, even though I don't know what it is, for service tonight. Because it forces me out of my comfort zone, and I have to make it work. There's no option of maybe. I have to make it work. And that doesn't always work out either, but I have to get something done. And if it sucks, it sucks. But like I've at least done something. But there's no other time to really do it. After service, you're too tired. Before service, you have life shit you got to do. And you can think all day for these 25, 30 minutes between the beginning of service and like the ending of prep and mise en place. And I know for a fact, at least for myself, and I know for other people, that that is the most optimal time for recipe creation in a place where you're actually not doing anything oftentimes. So listen, I know what I just said is nonsense, but talking to Jerry has caused me to reflect quite a bit on my life, how I view things, and I ultimately want to be better at whatever he's talking about. So um, I I don't have any Ask Dave and Major Domo Media questions, but please keep on sending them in at AskDave at MajorDomoMedia.com. Oh, fuck it. I'll just answer one. Um, What's my hailstone order? By John Alexander. I guess that's the easiest one. I like the French dip there. I also have to get the spinach and artichoke dip. Sometimes some Hillstones have the hot smoked salmon, even though I think it's total bullshit. They'll say it's like from like a 
sustainably raised or whatever the fuck they're saying. No, that's not true. I even like their sushi. They do these pressed sushi things. It's all just delicious stuff. They have a great chicken sandwich. Their salads are really good, especially the chicken salad with picked chicken. I don't usually get the steaks there, but the desserts are just like fudge sundaes and stuff like that. It's just one of those restaurants where everything's good, in my opinion, even the things that I would not normally order like a veggie burger. So my go-to order really is one of the starters, most likely the spinach dip into maybe a salad now these days as I eat a little bit lighter. But for the longest time, it was French fries, French dip, (laughs) and uh, maybe a chicken sandwich. But I love French dip, man. I love Philippe's French dip in LA. That's just like one of the coolest places ever. And anytime I can dip a sandwich into au jus, just the name au jus is like the coolest fucking thing, makes my day. And truth be told, I do like the Hillstone French dip quite a bit. And all of their starters are are fucking great. But uh, I don't know why spinach artichoke dip is uh, my like one of my guilty pleasures, but their version is just uh, really good and really simple. So that's my order for Hillstones. I really hope that uh, I stop talking about them because they're always in conversations. Everyone fucking loves them and it pisses the shit out of me (laughs) because I just like to recreate their success. So uh, that's my Ask Dave at MajorDomoMedia.com question. That's answered by John. Thank you for sending it in. Please send in your questions. So uh, I will let you guys go. Please give us five stars on iTunes or however you rate your podcasts. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, I don't even know if I'll be back next week. By the time you hear this, I should be a father for the very first time. So very exciting times and honored to have your guys uh, keep on listening. So thanks so much. Take it easy.